Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome to a very fun and very special episode. We have Caleb from Colony House here with us today, and we're going to get into that interview in a second. So this whole episode is going to be part one of a two-part series talking about Colony House's new album, Leave What's Lost Behind. So this first part is going to be an in-depth interview with Caleb, the front man of Colony House, and we'll just be asking him a bunch of questions about the band, about the album itself about tour just a bunch of fun stuff here and then make sure that you tune into part two where we're going to do a track by track breakdown of this entire album talk about each song talk about some of our favorite things from the entire album we'll break it down by each different section it'll be really awesome and a lot of fun so make sure that you listen to both parts but nate you ready to jump into part one our interview with caleb of course i'm diving in All right, today with us we have Caleb Chapman from the band Colony House. Colony House is getting set to release their third album called Leave What's Lost Behind on January 24th, 2020. Welcome to Long Distance Listening, Caleb. How are you doing? Thank you, thank you. I'm doing I'm doing great. Awesome. So Colony House consists of you, Caleb Chapman on vocals and guitar, your brother Will on drums, Scott Mills on guitar, and Parker Trell on bass and keys. Our first segment is called How Did You Discover Colony House? Where Caleb, we'll ask you how you and the guys discovered you wanted to make music together and how the band was formed. And then Andrew and I will share how we discovered you guys. So, Caleb, how did you guys discover you wanted to make music together and how did the band form? Yeah, well, obviously there's some like biological things that worked in our favor with me and my brother being born into the same family and then watching my dad have a career in music and I don't know when people ask us when we decided to play music I never know the answer to that it kind of just was always around it always felt like oh yeah that it's the family business I'll just play music that's what dad does that's what I want to do that's what my brother wants to do and we'll just we'll just play on that so there was never really this like solid kind of definitive time i think in high school at some point i was like all right i'm giving up my dreams to become a professional athlete i know that's no longer reality but this music thing maybe i could make a profession of it so i started taking it more seriously probably in high school but as far as this band starting well in high school we started touring with my dad me and my brother and then right after high school we met scott mills through our cousin they worked at a church together and our cousin's a total goofball and is like he like tries to embarrass his friends like any like he shamelessly plugged Scotty in front of Scott to kind of, to more or less embarrass him it was like hey Scott's really good at guitar y'all need to have him play in your band and Scott you know is all red faced and was like I mean I do play guitar but don't listen to Can he's an idiot which we knew already but anyways I guess long story short me and Will were like well, we, it's just the two of us. It'd be awesome to have a guitar player. And so I texted him and was like, you should come over and just jam, I think was the word. Let's jam. And that we did. And he's been playing guitar for us ever since. And then through a series of 
kind of crazy craziness we met park he opened a show for us in knoxville and uh we were on tour and needed a bass player this was like a year after we had met him and we knew park was just an insane musician and we were like i bet he could figure it out so we just (laughs) called him and he came in we didn't have any rehearsals we just sent him what the board tape of our show and and he played like the last two weeks of this tour with us and he's been playing with us ever since so that's how the band kind of came together kind of logistically and just as it's grown we've just continued to like kind of hit those checkpoints along the way of like this is still working like let's keep trying to get better and keep making albums and it's just continued to kind of progress i don't know like a it's like a family that has grown you know you're like adding members along the way and and now we feel super comfortable and like yep this is colony house well you said it right when it's still working andrew how did you discover colony house yeah, so I kind of found them actually through Instagram a little bit. It was uh, JHS Pedals had posted about a show that you guys were doing, I guess, in Kansas City or around that area. And it was either right when Silhouettes had come out or just right around that time because that was the first track that I heard. And I don't usually just kind of follow links to to bands, but I kind of trusted JHS Pedals enough and just kind of what they'd be listening to and, and posting about and went and literally from the first like guitar i mean obviously from that intro of silhouettes which is one of my favorite intros ever just from that intro i was like oh this band's really cool and been a huge fan ever since so nate how did you discover colony house yeah so i grew up listening to stephen kerr's chapman my mom would play him a lot and I heard of Colony House being formed, but never really took the time to listen. And it wasn't until, Caleb, you guys went on multiple tours with Switchfoot, but there was this one with Need to Breathe, Switchfoot, and Drew Holcomb. Do you remember that tour? Oh, yeah. And you guys were at Blue Banks Pavilion in Boston, which is big, open, semi-outdoor covered venue. Yeah, and when you guys played... The crowd was still coming in. I recall it being quite thin. <laughs> yes, yes. I was I was trying to phrase that politely. <laughs> yeah, there's very few people there. Yet the amount of energy and passion you guys played with was just captivating. And I remember leaving that concert just totally excited about looking you guys up and listening to your music and becoming a fan of the band. And it was just an incredible experience going to that show. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that I remember several things about that show. <laughs> one was the thin one was the thin crowd. One was some really expensive lobster rolls we had afterwards. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, Boston is one of our favorite cities. Speaking of favorite cities, we're going to get to that quick, and it's actually a part of this segment called How Blank Are You? And so today, the segment's called How Caleb Chapman Are You? And so, Caleb, this is just an opportunity for fans of the band to just indulge in their unhealthy comparisons between themselves and their favorite musicians who they've idolized. And you'll leave some fans with huge egos because you're similar, and then you'll leave some fans devastated and heartbroken who are nothing like you. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Awesome. Okay, let's begin. How Caleb Chapman are you? All right, Andrew, you can go first. 
Yeah, so the first question is sweet or salty? I'm going to be complicated on this. It's very important that I have both. It can't be one or the other. Next, Spotify or Apple Music? Ooh, Apple Music. National parks or baseball parks? National parks. Big party or small gathering? Small gathering. Streaming or going to the movies? Going to the movies. In the studio or on tour? Um, when I'm on tour, I would say in the studio. When I'm in the studio, I'd say on tour. Uh, I'm going to go with on tour. Phone call or text? Phone call. When I was younger or only the lonely? <laughs> oh, I'd have to say when I was younger, just because it was the first. This is my favorite question. Michael W. Smith or Stephen Curtis Chapman? Uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd have to say SC squared. Nice. Got to show that family loyalty. All right, so this is our last question. This is where the city thing came in. Boston or Philly? Oh, Andrew's shoot. from Philly, and I'm from Boston, and we ask this question every time. We have best friends in both of those cities. Uh, I'm going to say Philly. We know Philly a little bit better. Spend a little more time in Philly. I, I, you're welcome to the other. It's all right. I forgive you. All right. Speaking of Boston or Philly, those are two locations on your upcoming tour with Tyson Motzenbacher. However, and actually Nate and I are both going to be at the Boston and Philly shows respectively. But before the tour, you have a record release show in Nashville on January 25th. And you're actually playing each of your first three records. You're playing them front to back at a different room in the venue. So can you kind of describe how that kind of incredible gift to your fans came into being? We've had this idea for a long time. One of our favorite venues in Nashville is is this spot. It's called Cannery Row is the, like, overarching venue. And then there's three rooms inside of it, the High Watt, Mercy Lounge, and uh, Cannery Ballroom. And we've played all those rooms through the years. We've played at each one. And, and we were like, man, at some point we should we should play a show where we go through all three rooms and we didn't really have, like, the logistics dialed in. We were just like, it would be fun to do that. And then when the third album came out, we were thinking about a Nashville show and how to do something special as a release party. And we were like, well, we have three albums. There's three rooms. What if we just played each album all the way through, one in each room? And everyone loved it. I Not to pat myself on the back, but I, I kind of came up with this idea. But I also, I was definitely the one that was like, I don't think we should do it, guys. <laughs> Every, everyone else was like, oh, we got to do that. I'm like, oh, dang it. I've, <laughs> I've shot myself in the foot here because I'm the one that has to remember all the words and sing all those songs. I've never sung, I've never sung like 50 songs in a night. So by the end of it, we're just going to like, pretty much the idea is like play until we drop. Just like, let's just, let's literally leave it all on the stage. And we have such awesome fans. Like, I know everyone says that about their fans, but ours are just, they feel like friends, you know? So it's like, it'll be fun to just like be in there all together and kind of like go through the last five years. And like, I don't feel nervous about like, oh man, I hope every moment is perfect. And I want it to be, but at the same time, the gift of like the people that enjoy our music is they, they enjoy the like rawness of it all as well. So it'll be fun. 
Yeah, I actually have some friends flying in for that. Sweet. It's a big deal, man. That's really cool. And then you get about two weeks of, of vocal rest <laughs> after that show. <laughs> right. Until tour starts uh, mid-February to the end of March, and you're kind of all over the U.S. You guys must be kind of chomping at the bit to get out there and play some of these new songs live. What can fans expect from this upcoming tour? Well, I'm sitting outside of our little rehearsal space right now because our, we're rehearsing for this Nashville show and the tour kind of all at once. I think they can expect like a classic Colony House show as far as it's going to be loud. It's going to be a lot of energy because that that just seems like kind of part of the deal at this point. But we're always trying to like get better at communicating and like communicating something bigger than just the music and just like hey this will be fun for one night for you like we always trying to get better like we want this to be something that everyone takes with them for a long time and so i don't know what to expect but good thing indeed before getting into the album i just wanted to touch on the fact that you and will both have an interesting music perspective being the sons of stephen Kirsch chapman who's one of the most prolific ccm artists you are both in a band that has similarities and also differences to the sounds and direction of your dad's music. What have been the good things that have come from growing up in the CCM scene? And what have been some of the struggles maybe by being typecasted when people hear about that connection? Yeah, I mean, I have nothing but like gratitude for my dad and respect for the career that he's had and, and the way he's operated through all of the success and everything. I have nothing but gratitude for the like CCM community and how they've always supported us and our family and my dad. And like every business or industry, there's like the like things that you're like, I don't love that about this or, Oh, I think that's really cool about this or whatever there. I think that's in everything, but generally speaking, my dad has been huge influence and our number one supporter through everything and his legacy and just, his like integrity has opened up so many doors for me and my brother and and now our band through the years that like it would be really foolish for me to not acknowledge that as like a huge reason why we've been given the opportunity to to play music for a living and so with all that said the typecasting and things like that you know having big shoes to fill and like yeah scc is it's kind of the poster child of contemporary Christian music. All of those things, I think as I've grown up, I just realized that it's not really a thing. And then the, and the people that do kind of put you in a box because of that are usually the people that are closest to that box. They're usually the ones that are inside of the you know Christian music market or have had history there and know it they're usually the ones that have more trouble shaking the idea that our dad is Stephen Curtis Chapman and we'll never, you know, we've heard the thing. We've heard the the people have said to us, the industry people, well, you'll never make it as a alternative rock band. You Like one guy said to us once we were in a meeting, he didn't say it to our face, but he said it to a, a colleague of his that didn't say it to our face. But he was <laughs> like, you know, if it, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, and and these these boys are more or less goody two shoes, and they they'll play. You know, they're Christian music guys. You know, that's what they should do, and that's what they are. 
And um, if you've seen my brother play drums, then like you have a pretty good idea of his personality. <laughs> uh, he had some words to say when he heard that. But like that stuff is just silly, you know. It's like it's so narrow-minded. And in the early days, when we hear those things, it can like weigh on you and and frustrate you and things like that. But we've just kind of been like people can think whatever they want about the band, and if if we're a christian band to some people and that helps them reconcile listening to our music then cool but we've just always tried to operate as like we're just writing these songs and we want we want this to be the biggest group hug ever like everyone is invited you know and anytime there's a type that's being cast our way we're kind of embracing it all at this point like all right cool unless it's just a lie and then we'll we'll call it what it is we'll say okay stop you're making things up well, thanks for that perspective. That's really cool. So yeah. one thing that Nate and I talk about a lot, actually, is the importance of a band's third album for kind of the band's legacy in general. Because it just feels like most bands can struggle kind of writing back-to-back good albums. But if a band can write three incredible albums in a row, they can go down not just as one of the best bands of kind of that that time, but, but really of that era. And you guys have done that. You guys are batting 1,000. This is this is arguably your best album so far and i was just kind of wondering did you feel pressure from fans or from yourselves to really nail this album and what are some of your thoughts and challenges going about making this third album well thank you for the kind words i think with this third album there was a season after only the lonely had kind of done its thing and and we were like two years into that we were with this label called rca and some of the key people there that signed us to the label had moved on and so we didn't really know we didn't really have like a point person there and we just kept like writing songs and sending them in and some people would be like oh this is cool a lot of people were like, no, this isn't right for the band's direction. We need to do something more like this. And when you're in the middle of that, like, you really listen. Like, we've always wanted to be team players and be like, okay, well, you know, they, they like, know something about this. Like, let's try to make everyone happy. And that was not good for us. It really wore us out. And eventually, through a series of events, we were dropped by RCA, which was like huge blessing in hindsight because we were kind of just like a ship being tossed around in a storm there. And it just felt like we weren't going anywhere and we needed like the freedom to like make our own decisions. And so once that happened, we had more ideas, more demos and all of that than we've ever had. And we literally got to the point where we were like, all right, we're scratching it all. We're just going to, like, start over. And so we did. And when we decided to start over, there was, like, a huge shift in focus of, like, this isn't about what's the strongest vibe going forward, what's going to work on radio, what's going to get assigned to a label, all of those things that, like, sound funny that even they go through your mind, but they just do when you're, like, working and trying to make this a career. And it became, what are we communicating next? What is the narrative? What is the message that we want people to walk away with next? And it all started going through this funnel of, like, 
communicating something and we just had to figure out what exactly that was and when we decided to like make that mentality shift all of it started falling into place and those nerves of like oh if this doesn't work then you know who knows if this band if we can keep doing this or like all of those things of like well if we don't get a single on the radio or all those things i don't know the fear of it all kind of went away and it went back to like trying to approach it from a joyful space and like let's not take this lightly let's like give ourselves the space to be able to to do this and and do it well and do it like we did on our first album where we were just operating out of like i can't believe we get to make an album make music (laughs) and so yeah eventually we arrived at the place of just like joy and like this is going to be an awesome next chapter no matter what happens with these songs we want to approach this with that kind of attitude with the like naive adolescent kind of just kids making music attitude again that's awesome so that's a great transition for my next question when you talked about just wanting to communicate a message so for me when i was younger is about finding beauty in or after tragedy and kind of growing up by going through tough things only the lonely is about fighting the tendencies to choose isolation over community and leave what's lost behind is an album of liberation from darkness and the difficult journey towards hope how would you describe the main theme of Leave What's Lost Behind personally, and what inspired the lyrics for the record? I think that's pretty spot on. I might have to, I'll have you send that to me, and I can start answering interview questions with your, with your uh, <laughs> synopsis. Leave What's Lost Behind is like, it feels really big in my mind, like as far as the things it's trying to communicate. And so when I've been asked this question, I haven't figured out like my like really quick, like, clean response it almost feels like depending on what mood i am i answer it differently because it really has like it's been interesting on some interviews i've done the interviewer who has listened through is like it it really feels like you're in a season of deconstructing a lot of maybe your beliefs or i don't know there was a lot of doubt in the album and a lot of questions which is appropriate to like have that assumption and kind of like get that from a lot of the songs i think other people have gotten this theme of hope and triumph and uh, you know liberation which is also appropriate and so i think for me i've i've thought about this actually yesterday i was thinking about the way that so often i write songs is there's all of these questions and a lot of times they they're like questions that are unanswered most of the time i i just don't feel like i'm i feel like i'm way better at asking questions than answering them so I've, i'm kind of like leaned into that like well I still think it's healthy to ask questions. And and so I'll, I'll be a question asker with my with my songs. And with that said, I, I typically end songs with something more optimistic. It's rare that I leave it in a dark place. It happens, but like, I was wondering, literally driving yesterday, I was like, why do I do that? Like, it never feels like a conscious decision to be like, well, you know, 
I got it in this with some hope or whatever. It's just natural. And I think about it in the way that I even live my life and, you know, with my faith and things like that. Like so often I find myself kind of leaning on these questions of like, well, what if, what if it's all bogus? What if it's not true? And I think we all ask those questions and wonder these things. But at some point I always find myself like at the very end of it all, it's like I am left with no choice. It's like, but it's true. I don't know how to explain it other than like, it's my faith is the right word. But I think with my songs, it's the same way. It's like, I have to be willing to live my life with the hope of redemption. And that's usually a choice. It's not just like obvious. And so I'm beating around the bush here, but I think the theme for me generally the overarching theme is like, is kind of what the last song says is maybe it's when we're at our lowest, when, when it feels like everything has gone against us, when everything's been stripped away, as opposed to that being the end, maybe that's the beginning and that's where hope is. And that's where like, that's where you find the, the like strength or not even the strength, but there's no other option than to hope. And so, you know, there's this narrative that weaves itself through this album of this character, you know, that I kind of dove into and, and I'll leave that a little bit more gray. I won't like, I won't dive too far into that, but like there's this idea of lies and doubt and fear controlling this person. And then this voice of truth speaking into this person's life, really directing him and saying like the fear that you're operating on is a lie. Love is the thing that directs us, not fear. And so I don't know, there's a ton of things I'm thinking about on this album. And and a lot of them are the personal things that I'm deconstructing are the voices in my head that have told me through the years, like, you're not enough, you're not doing good enough, this, you know, if your music's not good enough, your songs aren't good enough, all these things that I've let kind of direct me through different seasons of my life. It's like waging a war with those voices and not giving them more power or any power in my life. Yeah, so you brought this up and we want to be respectful and keep our distance, so feel free if you don't want to share this, but... Andrew and I both noted how the Runaway tracks kind of create this structure of a concept album within the framework of some of the other songs and how the whole thing is set up. Andrew, would you like to kind of take off and run with that? Yeah, I just think it kind of feels like it bridges a lot of the songs, whether musically, uh, I think it it helps with those transitions, um, but also lyrically kind of create such a different flow to this album. I feel like then, then your last two records, which as excellent as they are, have just a very different flow than this whole album does. So does it feel like a concept album to you? And then also what kind of went into arranging the track listing on this album? Yeah, it started out as a, as like a blatant concept album about this runaway and this porter at a train station having a conversation and kind of wondering nomad who's down on its luck and this like train porter who is kind of low man on the totem pole in his line of work but is a well-respected man. And so the, like I had these two characters and had this like unassuming conversation and I like this, like, you know, Dust Bowl setting, kind of like, I don't know, like, exactly what time period it is or even, like, exactly where it is. But 
something that felt classic and kind of pseudo-Western. I don't know. All of those things were informing this idea before any of the songs were really finished. I was just like, I love this. I love everything about that. You know, those are my types of movies, my types of books, and, and those are the things I resonate with. And then this really important conversation that happens in this man's life that you know, redirects everything. And there's some family history there that kind of informed this, but I kind of took it and ran with this narrative. So I really want to leave it up to the listener to, to like fill in the blanks of like, who is Mr. Runaway? Who is Mr. Porter? <laughs> exactly what happens and what, like what songs are tied to this narrative and what songs aren't, because there definitely are more than the three runaways that I wrote with the narrative in mind. And then there were some that just happened to fit in really well. And then some that actually have nothing to do with the narrative. And so at one point I was talking with Scotty and he was like, this is such a cool idea. Just don't get too close to it because I think we have more to say. Like this is well informed and it's going to help communicate the big picture, but let's not lose songs because of this. And so that's where it stepped away from a complete concept album and became the way I've described it uh, to other people is like, it's more or less like a, like a whale that has to resurface every now and again to get some air. Um, And it just reminds you that it's still there, you know, and it's very important to the whole thing. So that's kind of the, a little bit touching on the runaways and, and yeah. the thought behind it. But as far as the track listing goes, I don't know. I What was different about this album is a lot of the songs we wrote chronologically. We wanted it to feel like we did it on purpose. So not, not the whole thing, but like I remember writing, looking for some light and being like, I know what kind of song I want to come right after this. This was before the runaways were going to be three different songs. It used to be just one song. But more or less, I wanted Leave What's Lost Behind, that kind of song, to follow Looking for Some Light. And so we wrote Leave What's Lost Behind, kind of piggybacking on, just in vibe, like didn't even know exactly what it was supposed to say. And that kind of is how we set this album in motion. And then at the end of it, we took the runaways and restructured them and kind of put them at three different points in the album where it felt like either the album needed a reset or it needed a reminder of like the bigger conversation that was happening or bigger narrative that's happening through the album. So along with the Porter and Runaway imagery, I noticed on the album, there's this imagery that has to do with the ocean and the horizon. It's very prevalent on the closer, the hope inside. It's also evident on the music video for looking for some light. I was just wondering what role did you want that imagery to play within the album? What was its purpose for using it throughout the record? Um, Nothing specific. I, I think it's just the like, Kind of like I mentioned, like we wanted this to feel pretty grandiose and like huge, like just big, like epic. And and sometimes we shy away from that because it's it's easy to get carried away with the epic thing. And it's like, okay, you're just trying to you're just trying to be an arena rock band or whatever. And when we found ourselves rolling our eyes at that, we were like, wait a sec, we do want to be an arena rock band. <laughs> so so maybe we should do this. Yeah. Um. So we just like big pictures and big stories and things that just we feel like invite more people into it. And 
the landscape thing, even to the imagery that we've been putting out, you know, with the photos and the video is like, let's go to where there's just wide open space. And it, there's something that communicate like with the wide open, like when you look at the ocean, you know, like there's this feeling, a lot of that lyric of the, the dancing with the ocean caught in the tide, like is this, the ocean is this thing to me that's always, I love the ocean so much. I'll spend hours and hours just like in the ocean, but it scares me too. <laughs> and it's kind of like the desert as well. I, for some reason, I'm really drawn to the desert, but I'm also really afraid of it. The desert like is where, you know, the like forefathers of Christianity, for, you know, the religion I practice, that's where they went to spend time reflecting with God. And that's where Jesus himself went, you know? So I'm like, I'm thinking through these spaces as like, there's a reason why it's almost like it helped me you know, the desert, for example, it's like, it feels like there's nothing there, but that's maybe why you hear better and hear more clearly there. And the ocean feels the same where it's like on the surface, it feels just vast and monotonous, but then beneath and in the depth, there's, you know, it's bursting with life. And so, I don't know, they just feel like an unending well of like inspiration. You can just dive in and it's just picturesque. Now, transitioning to talking about the instrumentals of the album a little bit, you guys explore with some some time signature changes and pretty drastic musical changes on this album. Is this something that kind of comes naturally to you in the band, or is that something that you have to be intentional to add? Time changes have always been something that we feel like they come natural. We almost have to fight against them because we're, we do it too much. And we're like, not every song going to have like a someone thrown for a loop. But yeah, it, it, my brother loves it. I mean, something about like a high energy song that takes a like complete left hand turn to like a, a halftime, like I'm thinking like, I don't want to give away a track because I, I think part of the element of surprise is like you think you know what the song is until the end and then it's like i'm ah, just kidding this is a different song than you thought it was we just like that i mean our friends that have been have you know been in bands and things like that have said things like this album makes me like music <laughs> you know like it's just it's fun it keeps you on your toes and it's just fun, like fun to listen to because of the changes and the time signatures are weird and you're trying to figure it out. Those were the kind of rules we went into the studio with of like, or I should say the lack of rules was like, let's not make a decision because we feel like it wouldn't work in a format. Let's just do it and do it because it makes us smile and we think it's awesome. Yeah, no doubt. Andrew and I were definitely blown away by some of the changes on the record and we'll keep our mouth shut to keep everything a surprise for the listeners. Despite there being a variety of styles throughout the album, one reason why it feels so well knit together is the production. Both of your first two records were mixed really well, but on Leave What's Lost Behind, the production plays a much bigger part than it ever has for the band. Working again with Ben Shive and also bringing back some of the more orchestral aspects of your sound what led you all to move in this direction well ben chive that was a huge step like kind of like in the process when we met with him 
you know, we were we were really excited about the idea of doing this just because there was something special about when I was younger and he played such a huge role in that. And so he's been like a mentor and a, and a really strong encourager to us through the years. And so w- when we met with him, we were like, hey, Ben, you're an amazing musician. Everyone knows that. We know that. But what we need more than anything on this album is like an encourager, a cheerleader, and someone to like keep us inspired. We'll bring all the insecurities. We'll bring all of the like fears into the studio. We didn't. We don't need another artist in the room being like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll we'll bring pretty, plenty of that. We need you to be like, you are good enough. So start acting like it. And that's exactly what he did. Like. He challenged me lyrically more than I've ever been challenged. And I really started feeling like I can do this. Like I'm, I got this. And he was a huge part of my like confidence in that. And then just, he's an insane hit. Like we knew piano was going to play a bigger part, like piano keys, all that kind of stuff was going to play a bigger part in this album. Cause I had started writing a little bit more on the piano and he's just next level. And so we're like, man, it'd be rad to have his ear on all of that. And so that was kind of the decision-making with Ben. And then the production was just like being bold. We wanted to be bold. We didn't want the, you know, on only the lonely, we were really aware of the live show of like, well, how are we going to pull this off live? Yeah. So we recorded a lot of it live with this album. We were like, who cares? We'll figure that out later. Let, let's just make the studio album cool. And then live, you know, we'll figure it out. Like if it sounds like the album, sweet. If it doesn't, cool. People get something different. If they want it to sound like the album, they can always listen to the album. And so we just didn't let things hold us back. We were like, let's just do the thing we want to do and let that kind of lead the charge. And then from a mixing standpoint, we were like, we want this to be loud really loud and aggressive and at times like i even am like oh my gosh maybe we went a little far (laughs) with it but as we were talking with the guy who mastered it who is another dear friend and has produced a lot of our music as well he's moved into mastering i was like is it too much like have we gone too far and his opinion was like it's kind of the sound of the album. Like it kind of feels like it's like bursting at the seams a little bit. And that was an intentional move. We just have to live with it now. Like, all right, we did that. And one thing that fans might notice is that, Caleb, I think your voice sounds different on this album than any other albums. It's kind of hard to explain. I was trying to figure out what exactly sounded different, but it just feels like you push your voice a lot more kind of in the process. Maybe there's a rawness to your voice or just a a wider range or something like that. Yeah. But a lot of the other instruments also seem to push themselves further on this album than maybe in the past. Is it important to you guys as a band to continue you pushing yourselves personally as musicians and how do you practically do that especially when there's a fear of failure yeah man what's so interesting about you saying that is when i was bringing the demos to the guys everyone was saying the same thing like your voice sounds different what is the deal what are you doing and i was like well i'm just i'm singing them by myself i don't have all you guys in the room telling me what i should do (laughs) or or i don't have the insecurities in my own head that are holding me back from trying things that I might, I might fail. So I'll just play it safe and be like, well, I know I can hit that note. So I'll choose that one. 
So, like, we actually decided on this album that I was going to record all the vocals by myself. No one would be in the room with me. So, like, it was just me, me and a microphone. I engineered, like, all of them. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but it was way more important for the performance to be there than even, like, a pristine vocal sound, at least for us on this album. And so that's part of that is, like, I remember more than any time on any other record, I would call Ben and my brother and be like, guys, I can't, you know, we're trying to meet deadlines. And I'm like, I can't sing anymore. I'm hoarse. You know, like I pushed it time and time again, just because I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to stretch myself and see how far I could go. John Foreman, when he talks about singing, because I've always been like, bro, you sing some crazy stuff. Why do, like, why do you write songs in that range? And he's like, oh, I mean, if you think it, you can sing it. You just got to figure it out. And I'm like, I don't know how much I believe that, but I'm going <laughs> to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. So I tried the John Foreman approach of like, well, I think that note would be cool. So let's figure out how I can get up there. And yeah, and then on all the instrumentation, it was just like always pushing ourselves to find a different way to record, you know, guitars. Guitars were like, we like used, we always defaulted to like the crappiest guitar in the studio and going direct as opposed to using an amp. You know, it's like, I mean, we, we used a lot of amps too, but like we just kept coming back, you know, when we got the pristine, perfect amp, perfect guitar, it was like, well, that sounds good, but I don't know. It feels like anyone can get that sound. So let's like push ourselves outside of this, this box and, and make it a part of the sound. Then my brother, of course, just ripped this album apart on the drums. It, you know, there's some insane stuff where he's like, it's not just like, oh, that's a cool part to play. It's like, no, that's a cool part. I'll need a little bit of time to learn how to play this. <laughs> so let's come back to it, you know? And we did a ton of like percussion too. That was a new thing on this album. It's like a ton of, it started out as a joke, but I've always told Will, I was like, dude, the djembe is going to come back. People are going to start. I'm like, and you might as well be ahead of it. Because if it's not you, it's going to be a band like The National or something that starts putting djembe on everything. And you're going to think it's cool. So you might as well do it and just be ahead of it. So djembe, bongos, all that kind of stuff made it made a huge debut on our on Leave What's Lost Behind. Yeah. And then Park, you know, we're continuing to like, try to set Park free because he's just such an amazing bass player. Or he's an amazing musician, so we're just like, dude, just let, you know, let yourself go and, like, do something crazy. And he, like, nailed the bass on this album, too. It's so rad. And, like, he plays guitar and piano and gym bass and all that other stuff all over the album, too. It's kind of the, the Swiss Army knife. So as we begin to close the interview, we like to ask the artists their favorite song in the new record. But we'll share ours first and then give you some time to think. So, Nate, you can go ahead and share first. Okay. Andrew and I both had write-ups about the songs that we chose, but we don't want to give away too much. So we'll just share the track name. So mine is Take It Slow. <laughs> nice, dude. Andrew, what's yours? So mine's El Capitan. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think I think when listeners listen, there's 
they'll they'll be able to realize some of the things that stuck out to Nate and I. We won't we won't spoil any any fun things, but uh, but they're both really really great songs. But honestly, the whole album it's really hard to pick a favorite song because there's such a wide range to everything too. So it's like I could pick so many different songs depending on maybe a mood or or what I'm kind of feeling at that moment. Yeah, and I think that's one of the strengths of the album for sure. So Caleb, what's your favorite track on the album? Yeah, it's a mood. Let's see. Today, it's a little overcast here in Franklin. <sighs> what would be my favorite song today? I, You know, I'll go with Why Even Try. Part of it is because I, I wrestled that song for a really long time. I had like the first half of it done for probably a year, maybe two, and I could not finish it. I, I remember just like, I just couldn't figure out how to like wrap it up. And I spent probably a week... I was by myself because I was recording the vocal and I was like, maybe if I just start recording the vocal, I'll be able to write it as I go and got to the place where I didn't have the lyric. And, and for a week, literally just like would like walk around, I was sit outside just all day and think on these lyrics. And finally, I kind of just like was getting frustrated, you know, like, come on, just say something, say something. And I went in and started just kind of like jotting things down quickly, not thinking about it as much. Like, maybe this is it, maybe this is it. And I sent like a, a rough vocal, like I sang a quick vocal, like, ah, this kind of works. And I sent it to Ben and Scott because Scott would really love this song, but he was like, it's really important that you nail this last verse and chorus. Like lyrically, you have something to say. I know it. It's really important. So don't sell yourself short. And I sent it to him. And they both were really encouraging and were like, oh, my gosh, dude, this is perfect. You, you did it. Way to go. And I ended up using that rough vocal that I sent them for the last verse. Just since y'all have heard it, starting at Fragile Hearts in these fragile times. Really, that verse, I ended up singing the chorus because, like, on the, the next day, because I was actually, you can kind of hear it in my voice. I was hoarse. I was, like, starting to go hoarse from singing that song over and over again. But I left that because something about the lyrics made sense and I sang it on a different mic and it was like poorly engineered but it was like felt appropriate for somehow on that song so just like the triumph of it feeling like it's very personal and it really deals with my insecurities in not just you know the art that I make but just in life in general and it also is a really triumphant like it reconciles with itself and kind of to bring this interview full circle, kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning of like starting in this kind of position of doubt and fear, but not letting it in there. Like there's more, there's way more to this than, than those lies that sometimes we, we give a little bit too much power to. Definitely. Why Even Try is such a terrific track, as are all of the songs in this album. And I'm sure all the listeners listening to us right now are just extremely excited to listen to the album which will be out so soon caleb we just wanted to say thank you so much to both you and the rest of the guys for making music i think i can speak for andrew and myself as i say this is my favorite call me house album and we just deeply appreciate all of you guys and your heart for music and also just your hearts in general and just the message behind your music. And I definitely got emotional writing this, but I grew up listening to your dad because of my mom. And I'm just so thankful that my kids someday will get to grow up listening to you guys. 
and I'll be able to pass down each of your albums to them. And it's just an amazing blessing being able to share such a precious gift with my kids, something that's meant so much to me being able to pass down. So thank you and thank you to the rest of the guys. Man, well, I appreciate it, boys. You're catching me on the beginning of this cycle, so I'm still, I'm like sitting in my car answering these questions like come on bro get it together answer the dang questions stop talking (laughs) but i really enjoyed chatting with you guys and thanks for the sincere questions yeah it's fun it it means a lot to me that you guys take it serious because we spend a lot of time on these songs and and it's just good to know that people spend the time with them and, and and it means something to them so we'll keep making music and uh, and I'd love to hang with you guys when, when we're up in Philly or Boston or whatever. Make sure and reach out. Yeah, we definitely will. Thanks so much, Caleb. Indeed. So, yeah, Leave What's Lost Behind comes out in three weeks on January 24th. It's right around the corner. Please support the band. Get tickets to one of their upcoming shows. Buy merch. Get the vinyl and show them some love. Nailed it. Right. That was such a fun interview. Nate and I both had a lot of fun just talking to Caleb. He was super nice just answering all of our questions. So definitely check out the album. We're excited for its release. We've both been able to listen to it, and we know that you guys are, are in for a treat. Part two, where we do our track-by-track breakdown of this entire album, will be coming out here in a few weeks after the album's out and you have a little bit of time to digest the album itself, be able to get your own thoughts on the album. Then we'll do a track-by-track breakdown of everything that we love on the album. So if you'd like to find us on our socials, our socials are LDL pod you can find us on twitter and instagram that way tweet us instagram us we got a bunch of fun stuff that we kind of do to interact with fans on both of those platforms so let us know your favorite song from this album let us know just any any thoughts you have on colony house let us know if you're going to be going to the philly or the boston shows so we can maybe try and meet up with you guys there as well and just anything else you want to you want to kind of let us know those are our socials you can also email us if you you would like to that email is long distance listening at gmail.com so thanks so much for listening and have a great day